All right. Some folks are still making their way in, but we're going to go ahead and get started. We need to get rolling. There's a lot of ground to cover uh, in the book of Proverbs this morning. Uh, but before we, before we uh, begin, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, ask for his blessing on our time in the Word together. Our Father, this morning, um, we are, we're grateful to be before you, to be in your presence and to come under the teaching of your Word. I ask that you would, in your grace and in your mercy, um, impart to us its truth, open the eyes of our hearts to understand wisdom and knowledge that you have stored up for us in Proverbs. Uh, I just ask for the, the power of your Holy Spirit now to teach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, <clears throat> this last week... Um, as, I'm, as I was thinking about the wisdom of Proverbs, the training that's in this book, something happened that kind of uh, caught my attention. Um, I was hanging out with my, with my kids while they were watching cartoons, or more accurately, they were hanging out with me while I was watching cartoons. Um, but one of the movies that we watched uh, was a, a Toy Story short. Uh, highly recommend it. It's called uh, The Toy Story of Terror, quality. Um, but it, it has all those classic Toy Story characters, Buzz Lightyear and Woody and, and Jesse the Cowgirl Doll. And if, if you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm sorry, but you need to get your heart right. <laughs> um, but in this story, there comes this moment where Jesse, uh, the, this cowgirl doll, needs to do something dangerous. Uh, something difficult in order to rescue Woody. And this G.I. Joe character, Combat Carl, uh, who's just really hyped up and really overzealous, he says, he looks at her and he goes, he's like, Jesse, remember your training. And she looks back at him with this kind of confused and scared expression. She says, but I don't have any training. Somebody took this, this scene and made a, a meme out of it and posted it on the, on the tweeter. And... Uh, the, the top comment was, this is basically every day of an adult. And uh, that's, that's funny, people upvoted this comment because we, we can relate to this, can't we? Um, we've all known that sort of panicked feeling of being faced with a challenge that we are unprepared to meet. In fact, um, even though most uh, most people in the world suppress this and keep it down, we seem to wrestle with the nagging sense that we're in over our heads, that we don't know what we're doing, and that we can't see what's coming. We feel like we're missing something. And the truth is, we are. The problem is that we all too often look for the answers in the wrong places. See, today, um, the, the sale of Self-help books is a $14 billion industry with more than 100,000 different titles in print. And in the United States alone this year, more than 10 million copies of self-help books were sold. But if you put all of what's contained in these books together, they could not hold a candle to the treasure of true wisdom in the book that is before us this morning. 
We need instruction. We need training. We need wisdom. We need the book of Proverbs. So for some background to our study this morning, we, we actually get the title and the author for this book in the first verse of chapter 1, which reads, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. In our modern usage, we typically tend to think of a, of a proverb as a, as a short, uh, pithy saying, a, a bite-sized nugget of truth or advice. And while the book of Proverbs does contain sayings like this, um, the meaning of the word Proverbs here is actually much broader in its scope than that. Basically, it means instruction or teaching on a given subject, a course of study. So this book is Wisdom 101, a masterclass taught by King Solomon. So who was Solomon? If you remember, um, he was the son of David and Bathsheba, whom David had appointed as his successor to the throne. Um, he's known for building the great temple in Jerusalem. He's also known for um, great sin in the, in the latter part of his life in accumulating wives who turned his heart away from the Lord. But before all of that happened, in the early part of his reign, we read in 1 Kings in chapter 4, how the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon answered, asking the Lord that he might give him an understanding mind so that he could discern between good and evil, and so that he could govern God's people well. So this request pleased God. And the Lord told Solomon that because he had asked for this, instead of long life or for riches, that he was going to give him a wise and a discerning mind. In 1 Kings in chapter 4, verse 29, we read, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. We're told in 1 Kings that Solomon spoke 3,000 different Proverbs, um, more than 500 of which we have preserved in the book of, of Proverbs. Um, the other 2,600, sadly, or 2,500 are lost to time. We also see that he wrote um, 1,005 different songs, putting him just behind Irving Berlin and Johann Sebastian Bach for the most prolific songwriter of all time. Now, of those songs, only three remain to us in Psalm 72 and Psalm 127, as well as the Song of Solomon, which puts into perspective um, how remarkable it is that we have as much of his Proverbs preserved for us in the scriptures as we do. So kings and wise men, we are told in Solomon's day, would journey from all corners of the earth, crossing deserts and oceans to learn from him and to hear his words of wisdom. We just had to drive into church this morning. It's important to remember, although, that we point out in this class who the human author is of each book that we consider, but we need to bear in mind, especially in Proverbs, 
what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is breathed out by God. And these biblical authors, including Solomon, were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The wisdom, the wisdom that he shares in this book is from God. It's also important to note, Solomon isn't the only human author of the book of Proverbs. In chapters 22 through 24, we have um, the sayings of the wise. This is a collection of, of Proverbs from other wise men, possibly influenced by Solomon. Um, and, and he likely compiled these sayings. Um, in chapters 30 through 31, we also have um, words from two sort of mysterious men, we don't know a lot about them, Agur and King Lemuel. Now, there are some who think that King Lemuel is a, is a pseudonym for Sol Solomon, but that's um, definitely not agreed upon. And then as we finish the book, there is this amazing acrostic poem by an unknown author which outlines the attributes of a godly woman. So we know who wrote the book, and now we come to the question of why was it written? What purpose does it serve? And we don't have to wonder because in verse 2, we're actually given the answer where Solomon tells us directly his purpose. Look down in chapter 1 of verse 2 if you have your Bibles open. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Solomon's goal, his purpose in writing this, is to impart wisdom. So this book belongs to the biblical genre of wisdom literature, and it is this transference, um, this communication to, and the acquiring of wisdom by those who lack it that is the express purpose for the book. It's addressed to the simple, to those who are lacking in wisdom. And guess what? That is us. That's you and it's me. We're the target audience for Proverbs. Now what makes this book um, stand out somewhat is how thoroughly practical it is. The book of Proverbs is theology that is applied to our everyday life. One commentator writes that the book of Proverbs is theology in work clothes. It shows us how who God is affects what we do. It's timeless truths speak to situations and decisions that we all face. Things like moral behavior in the workplace, sexual purity, the relationship between parents and children, between husband and wife, between friends, between coworkers. It also deals with subjects like civil justice, care for the poor, and on and on and on we could go. But the overwhelming message of the book is that God is intimately concerned with how we think, what we say, and what we do in our everyday lives. 
and that he has provided, he has stored up, we are told, wisdom for us so that we can walk in obedience to him, so that we can have spiritual success. So before we get into our main sections of the book, I want to go over three interpretive challenges that we run into in going through Proverbs. The first one is, is just the, the elusiveness of wisdom literature in general. Uh, these Proverbs can often be sort of deceptively simple, but just like Jesus' parables, the meaning is often not right on the surface. They must be pondered, they must be meditated on, and ultimately they must be revealed to us by God. Um, the second interpretive challenge is, is really the, just the pervasive parallelism uh, that is used throughout the book. This is the uh, dominant poetic literary device that Solomon uses um, where truths are placed side by side so that the, the second line of a saying emphasizes and expands or even contrasts with the first line. And we need to be on the lookout for, for this parallelism. Um, parallelism. And uh, the collections of Proverbs by Solomon are actually subdivided into these two groups of contrasting and synonymous parallelism. Um, also, in the Proverbs, we often see statements that seem as if they're black and white, absolute but they're actually expressions of general truth that are not always without exception. For example, in Proverbs chapter 10, and verse 27, it says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Um, also, we see in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. So these are general statements that are most often true but not absolute laws or guarantees. So as a basic outline, most scholars are going to divide the book of Proverbs into three or four groupings. Um, so for us this morning, we're going to divide it into three sections. Part one um, is the, the introduction or extended prologue that we see in chapters one through nine. Part two is, uh, are the three collections of Proverbs or sayings that make up the main body of this book. Part three um, are the appendices, uh, these writings of King Agur and King Lemuel and the poem on the woman who fears the Lord. This is chapters 31, 30 and 31. So to get into the book, we begin with part one, uh, chapters one through nine, and it is this prologue in praise of wisdom. Uh, the section in chapters 1 through 9 is really a collection of these more extended lessons or discourses, and they contain both warnings and encouragements. Here Solomon starts to lay out what is going to be the, the dominant, overarching paradigm of the book, and that is that there are only two paths in life, the path of wisdom and the path of folly. This is a truth that we see first in, in Psalm 1, um, and actually throughout the scriptures. Uh, we see Solomon in, in this opening prologue almost straining the very limits of human language and of creative expression. He uses 
one metaphor after another, one tool after another, in order to build up this image for the reader of wisdom as the supreme desire and the ultimate prize. In chapter 2, he he vividly depicts for us uh, the call of wisdom, personified. Look down in chapter 2 and in verse 20. We read, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. So here in chapter 2, wisdom itself is is personified by Solomon as this woman standing uh, where the town crier would stand so that all who pass by can hear. Um, So the call of wisdom is, is out in the open. It's in front of all. And in this call, we have this clear picture of biblical repentance. So those to whom she is calling... They're all depicted as being on this path of foolishness, leading to destruction. And she says, if you will turn at my reproof, I will pour out my spirit on you. This speaks of um, an opening of of the understanding of the eyes of the heart. And then wisdom says, I will make my words known to you. So before the words of wisdom can be known, the eyes of the heart must be opened, and before this must be repentance. Sadly, most who she is calling to continue on their path to destruction, they don't listen, and they reap the consequences of their choice. Look down in verse 29. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. It's a sobering warning. Solomon actually uses three different terms throughout the book of Proverbs to describe three different types of fool, or really a a progression down this path of foolishness and godlessness. They are, first, the simple. This person uh, lacks understanding, is simple and naive, but is not necessarily a moral fool. Not yet. The simple is shown in the book of Proverbs as having the potential to either develop wisdom or greater foolishness. Secondly, we see the fool. Now, this person's problem is a a deeply spiritual one. They lack spiritual understanding. They delight themselves with evil. And the Lord invites them to repentance. And then the third fool that we see in Proverbs is the scoffer. This is one who has been hardened, who has hardened their heart against God. 
And although wisdom still urges the scoffer or the scorner to accept reproof, he will not accept it. He hates the one who tries to correct him. He is proud. He causes strife and contention, and he will come under God's judgment, according to Proverbs. So these three definitions, and these are taken, by the way, from a really, really great commentary on Proverbs by Peter Stevenson. But taken together, they give us this sobering picture of the progressive hardening that comes from stubbornly continuing on the path of foolishness. See, there is hope for the simple. There is hope for the fool. But if they do not turn, their hearts will become hardened into the scorner who goes into judgment. So Solomon presents us with just these two choices. The path of wisdom, the path of folly. The one, a path that grows brighter and brighter, like the sunrise. The other, a path of of deep darkness, and those who are on it don't know over what they're stumbling. Um, The one leading to, to joy and to life, the other leading to sorrow and death. The author wants us to choose wisdom. He warns us. He encourages us. So what then is wisdom and how do we walk in it? So one of the the truly incredible ways that this book um, reveals the nature of wisdom and how it it impacts our lives um, in its different aspects is that it, it uses, the author uses several different words or synonyms for wisdom, and they're used freely throughout the book, and each of one of them, uh, rather than just being synonyms that that have no real difference between them, they each have a unique perspective. They shed their own light on different aspects of wisdom that, that actually shows us how it integrates with our daily lives, how it shapes our thoughts and our actions. So we see almost all of these key synonyms crammed into the first three verses of the book of Proverbs. So going back to chapter 1, verse 2, it says, to know wisdom, there's the first one, and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge, and I've run out of fingers, and discretion to the youth. The first word that we notice uh, is the word for wisdom itself. Now, this is a, an umbrella term that all of these other synonyms sort of fit into. And throughout the scriptures, this wisdom is primarily an attribute of God. In fact, according to the biblical view, the only true wisdom is God's wisdom. Job in chapter 12, verse 13, we read, To God belong wisdom and power. Counsel and understanding are his. Jeremiah 10, verse 12, But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom. So because this wisdom belongs to God, it can only be gained as a gift from him. 
Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 through 7 read, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. So the second word that we see, the second synonym, is instruction. Some translations render this as discipline. And in the, in the ESV, which I'm reading from, it does appear also as discipline later on, uh, many times throughout the book. So the original Hebrew word always carries this idea of correction and chastening and reproof when it uses this word of instruction. In chapter 13, verse 24, the same word is translated um, to parallel the rod of discipline. And in chapter 5, verse 23, we are told that the fool dies for the lack of it. Um, The third synonym that we see is understanding or insight. The root of the the, the Hebrew word translated understanding here uh, means betweenness, to be between two things. And as part of wisdom... This understanding or insight signifies the ability to rightly judge, to distinguish between two things, to know good from evil, right from wrong, honor from dishonor. This is understanding. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, we're told not to lean on our own understanding, that is our own ability to discern right from wrong or good from bad, but instead to acknowledge God in all of our ways, and he will make our paths straight. Solomon teaches us that this this God-given ability to distinguish right from wrong is indispensable. We must have understanding. In chapter 2, he says we should cry out for it. In chapter 4, he says get understanding. Acquire it. Why? Because... To get understanding is to be chosen above silver. Now, the fourth synonym that we see, and I'm going to have to start talking faster as we go to, to make up some time here, um, but wise dealing or wise behavior. This refers to that mental process we go through which leads to wise actions. Solomon connects this idea of wise behavior or wise dealing with three other attributes. They are righteousness, Justice and equity. Righteousness uh, means conforming to this moral standard of God's word. Justice here refers to um, specifically legal justice or the right application of the law. Um, The third word translated here, equity, simply means to be straight. Um, Metaphorically, it, it stands for someone who is upright and who is ethical. Wise behavior involves all of these. Uh, The next synonym that we see in verse 3 is prudence. Prudence. This word carries the idea of of shrewdness. A prudent man shrewdly evaluates advice, circumstances, and experience in order to gain more wisdom leading to spiritual success. The next one is knowledge. Knowledge. This is a knowledge... Um, that is gained by experience. It is a first-hand knowledge uh, that we later learn is a knowledge of God and of his word. And then finally, um, discretion. Discretion. 
Um, this is a very, very interesting word because um, most of the time in the Bible it's used in a negative sense. And in the negative sense, it's always translated as scheming or plotting. Um, but the idea is that in a similar way that a devious man schemes and plots to do evil, a wise man devises a plan. He plans ahead in order to do good. That is discretion. So the natural question that might, we might have at this point is, so where do we start? How do I begin? Well, I'm glad you asked. In verse 7 of chapter 1, we read what is really the motto of the entire book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, an awe-filled, trembling, reverential submission to God is the heart attitude which sets our feet onto the path of wisdom. It is step one toward a spiritually successful life. But it is not a first step in the sense that we would ever move on from it. It is a, the beginning of wisdom in the same way that a foundation is the beginning of a house. Everything else, all of these other elements of wisdom that we have looked at, are built up upon the foundation of the fear of the Lord. So how do I, how do, I do this? What does it look like to fear God, and how do I get there? John MacArthur defines the fear of the Lord in this way. To fear God is to live in the reality of his holiness, his sovereignty, and his judgment of sin. It is to love God, respect him, reverence him, adore him, hold him in awe, and worship him. All of these things represent the attitudes of a heart which recognizes and properly responds to who God is. We see this in the book of Proverbs. And we see it where often the, this fear of God is paralleled with knowledge of him. Proverbs chapter 9 of verse, 12 says, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge, that experiential knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So again, this is knowledge that is, is only gained by personal experience. To know God is to fear him. And to rightly fear him, he must be rightly known. So this is something which happens at the heart level. In Proverbs 28 and verse 14, it draws this contrast between the one who fears the Lord and the one who has hardened his heart. See, the, the cold an unperceptive heart of the fool does not fear God. But when the eyes of our hearts are opened to see him as he is revealed in his word, in the splendor of his majesty, in his perfect holiness, in the fury of his wrath, in his power and justice, his mercy and wisdom and love, we will fear him. And what this looks like, according to Proverbs, is obedience. An obedience that 
turns away from sin and walks in the way of wisdom. Proverbs 3, verse 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from sin. So not only does the fear of God keep us from sin, it reshapes our attitudes toward it. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Now lest we think that this is just some Old Testament truth, we see the, the New Testament version of it, um, specifically in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, where we're told, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, another key theme which is introduced in this first chapter and then developed throughout the book is the theme of uh, the, father, the father's wisdom, the father's instruction to the son. Or uh, we see the father and mother uh, giving instruction to the son. So the opening lesson of chapter 1 and many other proverbs in this book follows this common form for, for wisdom literature of, of a father speaking to a son. Um, now, Proverbs is not just for sons. Its principles hold just as true for daughters. And in fact, considering the, the sort of cultural moment or context in which it was written, a time where women were often not valued as much as men, Proverbs really, it elevates women by speaking directly to them. Um, especially in this beautiful passage in Proverbs 31, uh, in praise of the woman who fears the Lord. In fact, while the book opens up with instruction for men, it closes with what could be understood as instruction for women. Proverbs 31, verse 30 reads, Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So in Proverbs, there are many passages that include both parents, father and mother, speaking to their children or to their son. And in these passages, we're actually given a, a pattern for the imparting of truth from generation to generation. Um, as well, we're given this resource for the content of the truth that is to be imparted from parents to children. This is a powerful tool for godly parenting. So before you go out and read The Whole Brain Child or Raising Good Humans, actually, instead of reading any of those books, just read Proverbs. Um, so another key topic of Proverbs, and one that is especially needful for such a time as this, is that of the forbidden or the adulterous woman. Among the many warnings of this book, those found in chapters 5 and in chapter 7 against sexual immorality are some of the most sobering. In the first place, because the consequences which are spelled out for ignoring these warnings are so appalling. Literally, death is where this sin leads, even to spiritual death, if not turned from. And secondly, because the temptations that are described in these passages are absolutely pervasive in today's world. 
and none of us is immune to it. Single or married, young or old, male or female, the temptation to sexual sin and the death that it brings is literally around every corner. Now the good news is that the instruction and wisdom of God that he has provided here, if heeded, will guard us against this danger, and it can set us free. So I want us to take a quick look, uh, before we run out of time, at how the instruction of Proverbs um, prepares us and equips us to deal with temptation. So turn, if you would, to chapter 5. Chapter 5, where, and I'm sorry, I don't think I'm going to be able to call out each verse number, um, but beginning near the, the, the beginning of chapter 5, first we see the Father's instruction exposing the lie of temptation. He says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Now, these are verses that are actually a, a, a prime example for us of how effectively Solomon uses this paralleling imagery to get his point across, um, where lines one and line three of this verse um, are parallel, and then lines two and line four. In line one, the lips of the forbidden woman promise this sweetness of honey, and this contrasts in line three, where the expected sweetness of the honey turns out to be as bitter as wormwood. Now, in case you're ever on Jeopardy, this is, a, this is a plant that is native to the deserts of North Africa, and its scientific name is absinthia. So this is the plant that's used to flavor a, a, a poisonous spirit called absinthe. Um, it's highly toxic, and a large enough dose of it can cause convulsions and death in large amounts, and uh, it's extremely, extremely bitter. Metaphorically in the Bible, wormwood is used to represent the suffering that results from man's wickedness. So also we can see here where line two uh, contrasts with line four, where the forbidden woman's speech is said to be smoother than oil. In line four, it turns out to be as sharp as a double-edged sword. So the poignant lesson here is that sin never satisfies. It never delivers on its empty promise. It always brings bitterness and suffering. Now secondly, we see the instruction of the Father in chapter 5 pointing out the consequences of surrendering to sin, where he says, Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Thirdly, he equips the reader or the learner with this strategy for avoiding sin. It's a simple one. And it's the same strategy, actually, that Joseph used when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. Get away. Don't go near the door of her house. It's not don't go through the door. It is don't go near the door. Create no opportunity for lust. And for sin, this is echoed in Romans in chapter 13, verse 14, where we read, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. 
We must not give our sinful flesh the raw materials that it needs in order to sin. Finally, the father's instruction in chapter 5 encourages his son to delight in God's design for human sexuality in marriage, telling him to rejoice with the wife of your youth, to be intoxicated always with her love. And you may say, well, Carrie, that doesn't help me much um, because I'm single and I don't get to enjoy that blessing from the Lord. Well, elsewhere in chapter 7, these same warnings actually deal with a young man who is single. And the lesson is the same. The lesson that we are given is that God's way is better. God's way is better, and the blessings of walking with wisdom are better than anything that sin promises. Now, uh, we're going to have to move through some of these other key topics pretty quickly, and we'll wrap up. But other common themes that come up again and again throughout the book of Proverbs, uh, just to name a few, are the exaltation of humility and the downfall of pride. Um, We also see good speech contrasted with corrupt speech. We see the honor of diligence and the shame of slothfulness. We see teaching on the disciplining and the training of children. We also see this call to care for the poor and for the needy. We see contrasted the godly woman and the contentious wife. Now these are just a few. And many of these themes are introduced to us in part one, chapters one through nine, and then further developed in these shorter Proverbs which actually brings us to part two, chapters 10 through 29. And this represents the the main body of the book of Proverbs. And it is here that we really switch gears into away from the the lengthier instruction into what we traditionally think of Proverbs. These short, sort of honed, polished sayings of concentrated truth. Now these Proverbs are not grouped together according to any particular theme. So if you're looking for an outline, you're going to be frustrated because we really go from one topic to another in rapid-fire succession. However, as you read through the book of Proverbs in your own study, uh, the best way to, to glean from these Proverbs is to notice the recurrence of thought. Um, these themes will come up and then we'll return to them again and again and again. And so if we study the book of Proverbs, if we work within that that sort of uh, randomness and study it thematically, study it according to subject, um, collect together all of these sayings that have to do with specific topics, um, you begin to see how, how this book fills out and expands upon and builds upon the teaching on every one of these subjects that are introduced. Every saying builds upon another and emphasizes new truth or, or subtly um, expands upon or enhances a truth that's been presented earlier. Um, so I would encourage you, as you come to the book of Proverbs, do that work of topical study. Um, and this is something that does have to happen on your own. There are some commentators who have provided good resources, but I really encourage you to do this on your own, to write down 
specific sayings that go with specific topics and then begin to see the truths emerge and jump out at you as you see that unity of teaching in the book of Proverbs. Now, sadly, we don't have time to go into this final section, and I don't have any notes on it anyway. Um, But in closing, as we study the book of Proverbs, I hope that we will remember that all of the virtues and attributes of God's wisdom that we see here are found in Christ. We cannot know wisdom without knowing the Lord Jesus. He and he alone walks perfectly in all that Proverbs sets forth. And he provides for us that perfect accomplishment of this wisdom. He is our example. So in your pursuit of wisdom, pursue Christ, and you will find it. As Paul prayed for the church in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, may we at Redemption Hill come to the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You're dismissed, and we'll meet back here in uh, 12 minutes for worship.